Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Yancy Sproul, CEO of DigitalOcean, previously CFO of SendGrid, which was acquired by Twilio. Welcome to the podcast, Yancy. Hi, Mandeep. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yes. And uh, look, uh, maybe we can start off, you know, with your background. How did you end up at DigitalOcean, given, you know, you were acquired by Trulio? So just uh, maybe we can start there in terms of how you uh, ended up here. Well, I've had a long uh, uh, journey from a career perspective, you know, started out in technology in the uh, optical fiber business in Corning in the 80s when, the, when there was no internet. And um, then um, got an MBA. Uh, I worked as an engineer in the fiber business for Corning. And, and then I was an, uh, got an MBA, was an investment banker, you know, did lots and lots of M&A. Um, and then my third phase of the career has been a tech executive. This is the third technology business, uh, DigitalOcean, SendGrid, and now, excuse me, Digital Globe, SendGrid, and now DigitalOcean, uh, where I've progressively been CFO, CFO, COO, and, and now CEO, where um, I've been successful uh, or part of successful teams, building, scaling companies, taking them public. And um, it's been a journey so far, and uh, it's fun. I love it. I love uh, working with technology. It allows me to stay connected to the old days as an engineer, but, uh, you know, drive it from the business side. Yeah. And two of your companies start with digital. So clearly there is something about digital that uh, you like. Uh, and and uh, maybe, you know, that's a good time to talk about the business. Why kind of compete in a business with the hyperscalers? Because everyone, when they think about, you know, cloud and IAS, they think about the three main hyperscalers, Amazon, AWS, Microsoft, Azure, and Google Cloud. So help us understand where do you guys fit in and how are you trying to carve a niche and a business, profitable business out of it? Well, it's a, a massive market. We serve you know, over 100 million small and medium-sized businesses are the market potential. Uh, over 30 million software developers who collectively spend $70 billion on cloud today. It's a very fragmented market. And how we have carved a, a niche uh, within that uh, large market is uh, focusing on simplicity. In the time we've just been talking, you could already be up and running uh, and onboarded as a customer on DigitalOcean. So it's a very simple, easy, intuitive platform to configure uh, applications, to build applications, to uh, reach the internet. And, um, and we also offer help to customers whether in the form of support to to all customers, documentation, we have over 40,000 tutorials and other pieces of documentation that are available for our customers, regardless of price point. We're all open source platforms, so it's easy to configure applications and integrate with our tech stack. And we're priced very competitively, especially relative to, you know, the hyperscalers. And so what we represent is an opportunity for people who have an idea they want to test or a business they want to start and run and scale on our platform that's tailor-made. We don't have the complexity, the depth of capabilities, et cetera, but we have what's just right to enable uh, small, medium-sized businesses, startups, developers to get what they want 
uh, out of a cloud solution. And, you know, for so long, so many of the tech players, including the hyperscalers, they focus on enterprise and everybody else, whether it's small businesses or personal uh, individuals, engaging with the tech industry has been a problem because of complexity and our business built on simplicity. And that's why we've been able to achieve a, a business today, which is 650 million of ARR and uh, over 700,000 customers. Yeah, clearly the growth rates look pretty good, but you know, in times like these, uh, the SMBs do pull back on their IP spend. And we have started hearing from a few of the companies that are exposed to IP spending. I mean, they've missed big in terms of the expectations. And uh, the first half of 23 doesn't look that good, especially for companies exposed to SMB IP spending. Curious to know your thoughts and what you're seeing out there. Well, there's no doubt that uh, the world is growing slower today than we all thought a year ago, uh, and, and, and certainly in our industry. And uh, that's been reflected in you know, our outlook uh, during the year. And you know, there's been a few things uh, driving that. One has been just there's a macroeconomic slowdown. And we have a, um, we've seen that early on in April. We had an uh, incredibly strong Q1. And literally April 1st, the uh, dimmer switch started to, to slow things down, you know, with Russia, where we have a presence uh, or at least have customers. We don't have a physical presence or employees. Uh, blockchain slash crypto started to see weakness in Q2. Uh, those have taken off meaningful uh, haircuts to our growth this year. And then just a general slowdown. And we have a consumption-based model, which means we have 30-day monthly recurring contracts, which are pretty stir uh, sturdy. And uh, I view them as a feature, not a bug, because, you know, our customers as part of simplicity, the minute their business slows down, they're able to slow their spend and not be locked into a contract. That's going to accrue to our benefit on the other side of this. And so we have seen it early. And, um, you know, I would say blockchain and Russia have stabilized. And so we're at a lower level of growth, but it's uh, a more, I'd say it's a lower level of growth that we have our arms around. And, um, you know, I do expect that this will persist for a bit. And what we've done this year is slimmed down our priorities to focus on fewer growth initiatives, which you're starting to see green shoots from now, and, and levering more into free cash flow. And, okay. uh, you know, as a management team, as executives, you know, you deal with the cards you dealt. And uh, so we've slimmed yeah. down spend, and, uh, but still focusing on growing and, um, and also focus on delivering uh, more free cash flow than we would have expected uh, in our plan at the beginning of this year. Um, and, and, and that'll be our posture until there is a lessening of the uncertainty and we all get our arms around what is the new normal. We're certainly going to exiting a period of crazy free money, incentive to grow, 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 and, uh, and the stocks follow. And I think, you know, in a normalized interest rate of 5% or something like that, the cloud hasn't lived through that, right? Cloud yeah. has grown up to late to thousands since uh, the financial crisis when, you know, interest rates have been zero. And so we'll have to figure out what's the right multiple to attach to free cash flow, uh, which we've been focused on for years. I know a lot of folks are now figuring out that in the dictionary, what it means in our industry. And this has been how we've run the business for years. And, uh, and you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we've always been balanced. And, uh, you know, I think that's the right way to run any business. And that's how we run our business. And so uh, it hasn't been as disruptive this year as I, I suspect with others, but it's certainly we're growing slower than we expected to 12 months ago uh, this year. 
Yeah, and, and this is a view that I feel I've heard from a few executives, you know, who have been on this podcast as well. Like the way people are thinking about cloud is it will become the next utility. Yeah. I mean, think of any company that's out there. It needs cloud capacity to run its business. So even if they are trimming their spend, once the, you are thinking about cloud spend as a utility, that's the last thing you're going to cut. And is that how you are viewing it from the perspective of the customers that you serve? And if yes, uh, curious to know if there are any particular verticals where your customers, customer base is focused on. Yeah. So uh, one of the beauties of our business is um, we are essential. When you talk to our customers about DigitalOcean, a smile comes on their face. We're integral to their existence because mm -hmm. instead of them buying computers and having a closet or a data center, you know, they're outsourcing through us. And so because they work through us with a portal, they are very familiar with DigitalOcean. It's essential, not a fringe app, not part of their variable spend. It's core to uh, what they do as their platform in terms of engaging with their customers. So. Uh, what we've seen is churn has not risen this year, you know, in any material way. What, what we have seen is the customer's expansion has declined. So they're growing slower. They're still growing. You know, we're still growing 30 plus percent this year for a whole year. But, you know, their, their businesses are weaker. We serve a host of verticals. One of the beauties of our business, uh -huh. we're truly global. We're in 185 countries. 70% of our revenue is outside the United States. It, you know, if you looked at where our customers and our revenue uh, occurs, it looks like global GDP. So we're truly diverse. We're not, uh, we're also, so geographic diversity, we, um, we have industry vertical diversity. There's no particular industry that we're concentrated or built around. And uh, we don't have customer concentration. And so we've been fairly resilient. We're growing slower than we expected, but we're still growing nicely. And we haven't seen, even though blockchain and Russia have been somewhat of shocks, we weren't too concentrated in any of those areas. And, you know, SMB is half the global economy. Small, medium-sized businesses, you know, our definition is uh, businesses fewer than 500 employees. That's half of, uh, that drives half of economic growth globally. Some places it's as much as 60%. It's very durable. Now, what we've seen is it's not as well understood because most small businesses don't go public, you know, don't take institutional money, aren't covered as much by the press. And so who we serve is, is somewhat of an enigma, but it's been very durable. And, uh, you know, and I think if you looked at the comparable impact on SMB as expressed through our relative growth rates year over year, and look at some of the hyperscalers in our industry who serve, you know, their declining growth rates and our declines are relatively similar. And so I think it speaks to the, the durability uh, of our business and uh, the robustness and the resiliency of small businesses everywhere. We're going to have a survey coming out next week that's going to speak to that um, sentiment around small businesses. So we're certainly seeing a weaker environment than a year ago, but it's still growing. You take 30% growth in a world that grows 5x. Uh, we're growing 5x or 6x, where global GDP is, what, 4 or 5%. We're growing, you know, six, five, six, seven times that rate. Uh, so I think that's healthy growth, even in an environment that's growing slower. And just to draw that comparison, so Digital Ocean would be different from the digital REITs uh, like Equinix or Digital Realty, right? So they are just providing the space to host your data center, but you are also adding a layer of software. 
That's exactly right. So we um, we have 15 different data center uh, locations. We co-locate through principally Equinix or Digital Realty, some okay. others in certain locations. So we we pay them for cage space to put our servers in, and they handle all the power, cooling, infrastructure, all the rest of it. And then we focus on, we do owners, excuse me, our servers. And then, you know, our customers know us as a software layer on top of that, where they can configure their infrastructure, where they're, where they're operating, the applications they're running, how much storage, how much server capacity they need, how much bandwidth, depending upon their business model, what other applications they need to the extent we offer platform as a service applications. And so we, we have a software layer on top of physical hardware, which we own and have built. And then we collocate those in facilities owned by third parties. Okay, so given what's going on at the geopolitical level with China, Russia, you name it, like my sense is the requirements around keeping the data within your geography gets more and more important from every jurisdiction that uh, I guess any software company is serving their customers. And so is that a positive kind of tailwind for you guys, given all these regional requirements around protecting the data, GDPR, that's another compliance aspect that comes related to GDPR. Well, what I would say is uh, having a competency around security and uh, we have a vigorous effort in security. We invest uh, several percentage points of our revenue and we have for years in creating a, a highly compliant, customer-friendly, a privacy-friendly platform. And so I think that's a competency of our, of our uh, and a differentiator for us, for our customers. Um, you know, increasing complexity, if you will, around physical locations and uh, varying regulatory requirements. We're set up to deal with that. We have data centers in many locations. Uh, we certainly can, and are adding, we just announced a, a new location in Sydney, Australia. A couple of weeks ago, we have plans to launch in other regions and then even smaller footprints, which will allow us to address some of the local requirements. And so it's something we've been operating with. You know, GDPR has been out for many, many years. Uh, it's foundational in terms of uh, how we engage. And, you know, again, that whole concept of protecting our customers' valuable asset in terms of their customer yeah. data is core to our ethos. Yeah. Okay. And, and so when, uh, let's say, an SMB is deploying on digital ocean, like, how do they go about building the stack? Because what a lot of hyperscalers do is they will give you their own database. They'll give you their own PaaS software. So in your case, how are you assembling the stack for that SMB customer? Who are you connecting with? Is there like a marketplace where they can pick and choose? Like maybe walk us through that. Yeah, so the base layer is compute network and storage, otherwise known as infrastructure as a service or IaaS. We have varying uh, flavors of small, medium, large in terms of compute uh, offerings. Uh, we have this object and block storage. You know, obviously you want to build your apps and run them on a computer server or a portion of a server, which we call a droplet, then you want to store those applications using object or block storage. We have those services. And then you want to connect that to the internet through bandwidth. And we do that through our bandwidth connectivity and we have multiple different locations around the world. So you can place your applications in red server locations, depending upon the nature of your customer base, the nature of latency and how important it is in your 
overall business model. That's layer one. That's about 80% of our revenue. Layer two would be our PaaS applications, platform as a, platform as a service. We have managed databases, MySQL, Redis, Postgres, MongoDB, and we just uh, announced uh, Kafka coming soon. So that's a layer for companies uh, as they're scaling their customers. Uh, they need to do more customer analytics. Uh, we have database solutions. That's been a rapid grower. We have Kubernetes, managed Kubernetes offering that rides on top of that. That's uh, targeted towards the SMB uh, customer. That helps with uh, productivity and work, you know, application deployment. We have serverless capability. And then we do have a marketplace. We have dozens of applications as another layer um, where we just announced a new relationship with Okta. So we have security. We have communications. Uh, we have uh, WordPress. We have all sorts of applications that people can attach to that we've partnered with other people that's been very successful. So we're building a small set of apps that we think are the Venn diagram overlap are pretty high for early stage businesses. We partner with people on the, in the marketplace. And then the other aspect of our platform, we're all open source. So to the extent people want to, they like an app in this realm, in open source or, or that realm, they can configure that and run it well and seamlessly on our platform. So it's open. That's part of our simplicity uh, proposition, value proposition. And then again, we layer support and a documentation on uh, wrapped around all of that technology that uh, helps our customers. You know, small businesses, startups, they don't have an IT department on the seventh floor. They don't have DevOps to call, right? If the, if the systems go down, if the app stop deploying, the CEO or the head of his, who's the head of HR is also, you know, the DevOps person. And so having support for all customers, regardless of price point is a huge differentiator. You know, I think some of the larger players, you know, their customers have large IT organizations, DevOps. And so they, they only provide the support to larger type customers. We provide it to everyone. So with the products that are the right size, they're not as deep or as broad as the hyperscalers, but our customers don't require that and that really started their journey. And then we wrap that around with software and support and documentation. So who would you consider as your closest competitors? Would it be the likes of GoDaddy, Wix, and Shopify, or would it be more on the infrastructure software side? Well, as we've added a managed uh, capability now with Cloudways, uh, so people who don't want to configure their own server, they want to uh, operate their business to cloud. They want a managed experience. We now have that. So we have the breadth of a more do-it-yourself legacy cloud infrastructure model. And now we have the managed, uh, still not exactly what a Shopify or a GoDaddy or Wix, mm -hmm. uh, but somewhat similar. What I would say is we're competing uh, $4. That's $70 billion market for cloud infrastructure. Um, you know, and, and there are smaller players out there uh, in the U.S., but Linode, Vulture, for example, uh, OVH Cloud and Headster in, in Europe. Uh, certainly some people opt not to do it themselves and go to a fully managed like a Wix, et cetera. Um, but there's a lot of people who are somewhere in between there and we're, we're fitting uh, in that niche in terms of the opportunity. Understood. And you mentioned about the use of a consumption model. I mean, clearly we have seen the success of the likes of Snowflake and, you know, the net retention rates that they have over 150%. Maybe help us understand how do your cohort leverage that consumption model and what is it that gives you the confidence that that is the way to go as opposed to the traditional, you know, subscription-based 
the seed-based model that uh, a lot of the SaaS companies were using. Yeah. So when you look at our 700,000 customers, it's about a 500, uh, about 150,000 of them generate nearly 90% of our revenue. You know, those customer cohorts are growing 50% plus, you know, revenue growth as well in the mid thirties. Uh, and, uh, unit economics are, are very robust, you know, net dollar retention in the upper teens, 118 or so, uh, through last quarter. So, uh, that's the lion's share of where our revenue comes from. We also have a broader set of smaller customers, 550,000, uh, customer numbers grow a little bit slower. You know, they're over a hundred percent net dollar retention. Um, and the revenue growth is in the single digits, you know, every month, every two months, one of those people's becomes a, you know, $50 up customer, they launch a business and then they ramp really rapidly. The consumption model works for both, right? If you're a small customer paying 20 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, you're a hobbyist, you're just learning how to code, you're testing an app that you hope leads to a business. You know, if you use it this month, but you don't use it next month, you know, our model uh, caters to you. And uh, we think that that's a feature because, you know, small businesses are capital constrained. One of the bees into the cloud is it allows innovation with, uh, with by decimating, uh, at the same time, decimating, you know, capital up front. You want, you want to start a digital first business 20 years ago, you had to buy the server, you had to buy the data center infrastructure, the cooling, the security, et cetera. So it could cost you tens of thousands of dollars just before you wrote a line of code on your idea. Now you could be up and running on, on DigitalOcean in, in a matter of minutes for 15, 20 bucks a month. Uh, so the consumption-based model works for them. And then those running businesses, their businesses ramp really rapidly. We think the price transparency of a consumption model is really, really powerful, especially in this environment. I, I've talked to countless customers over the last six, nine months who have thanked me because, you know, we're not on the list of, of vendors that they have to call and say, look, I'm not spending what my contract says. You know, can we do something different here? Right. You know, we, we adjust immediately. And I think that's a feature. That's not a bug as it relates to our type of customers. Obviously, in the enterprise, you know, maybe that's a different uh, world. But for our capital constrained customers who are, who are husbanding every dollar because, you know, they're startups, typically bootstrapped. You know, this model works perfectly. And I think it did allow us to see early the slowdown uh, back yeah. in April. Whereas I think some of these people have been, were insulated in Q2, Q3, and now you're starting to hear as they're focused on renewals at the end of this year, they're, they're a lot glimmer or gloomier uh, view. And then the flip side, from our perspective, we've been living this for six months, and I think we're starting to more normalize into the, into the current reality. Okay, I want to shift my focus to CapEx and partnerships. So maybe first on CapEx. To run a business like this, where there is some uncertainty to an extent, you know, what happens next year, whether we have a recession or not, how do you go about making those CapEx decisions given you are, you know, scaling the infrastructure according to your growth expectations, customer ads, increased capacity, et cetera? So our CapEx footprint, uh, when I joined three and a half years ago, we were spending 50 cents of every revenue dollar in capital. That's now about 20 cents on every revenue dollar. So that's been a huge lever in us getting to free cash flow positive uh, over the last uh, a couple of years. We do buy servers. You know, we have tens of thousands of servers spread across our 
the network gear, et cetera, spread across our, our data centers. And so we'll be higher than a tri traditional SaaS. So we're kind of a hybrid of the SaaS uh, business with, with some capital intensity. I think that's a great thing. You know, in my past life, uh, being a part of capital intensive businesses, when you're good at managing capital, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, a good differentiator. You know, a lot of people don't like capital. So that's a, a good reason why new people don't come into the industry, uh, when you're good at it. And, uh, you know, the free cash flow margins we're showing now and the leverage, I think demonstrates that, you know, what we do is we look at what does it take to support the growth rate, current growth rate and our expected growth rate. What's the capital required to do that, both uh, supporting the growth, and that includes the maintenance, you know, replacing of, of infrastructure, which also supports the growth. And then what do we want to, so that's in-year. What do we have to spend to support this year? And then the question is, next year, two years from now, three years from now, what's the growth going to look like? What, what industries are evolving? What new products in? How's that going to impact our current footprint? And then we try to get on ahead of that. For example, we just launched a data center in Sydney. That started 18 months ago, uh, where we started investing in that. And so then, uh, you know, there's the portion of our 20% that's for longer duration to support long-term our strategy for a sustained higher growth. Hmm. And then the, the vast majority, though, of that 20% is spent on supporting in-year growth. And one of the things we've been focused on over the past few years is driving what it costs to support today down, meaning how do we drive efficiency and optimization in our architecture, uh, optimization in our procurement model, and, and drive operating leverage uh, in terms of getting packing more revenue per server. And, uh, and one metric that, that highlights that, when we joined here just three and a half years ago, our payback on a server was about 18 months. And, uh, you know, we've cut that by two thirds. Now it's about six months. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. And, and just to piggyback on that. So the nature of workloads keeps changing. I mean, now we're talking about more and more AI workloads, you know, companies need to use more GPUs, et cetera. Is that something you're focused on? And are you relying on partnerships with specific vendors like NVIDIA or how are you going about just giving your customers what they need in terms of their changing workload requirement? So two things. Well, we are evaluating a GPU offering. We don't have a specific one today. What I would say is uh, we've partnered with folks that uh, have a specific GPU. We have really high performance computing uh, capabilities. Uh, we do a lot in processing and gaming. A lot of our industry verticals need high intensity computing like gaming. Uh, media streaming, entertainment, uh, businesses, ad tech. And so people are able to use our servers. Uh, and we also have really high performing bandwidth at, at really disruptive, uh, low price. And uh, that combination does allow people to do the business models that could be suited for GPU, but they're doing them on our platform. You know, we're excited about that. We are evaluating a GPU offering at some point in time. Conventional compute is uh, the standard and, um, you know, people can, are flexible in terms of what they uh, use and, and can be, you know, modify their, uh, their needs uh, to what's best and, you know, cost effective. So that's working today. Uh, I do think over time, uh, whether we acquire, partner, and or build it, or some combination of the three, uh, we will look to uh, those types of models. You know, AI 
in general is uh, you know something we don't have on the platform today. We certainly are looking to add that capability uh, over time, you know, just to help our customers with targeted you know customer productivity, and um, you know that's an opportunity we're actively evaluating. Great, and that's perfect segue into my last section, which is rapid fire questions. So you can keep your uh, responses brief. What is one technology or trend that you are most excited about over the next two years? Boring answer, but it's it's the cloud. I I, I just in my 20, 30 year career in tech, you know, I started when hardware was dominant on the content of technology and software was a tiny fraction. Obviously that's flipped. And uh, what that's done is simplified technology for everyone. And I think the cloud is really transformative for human beings around the world to get their ideas on the internet. And I just think it's so early. And so we see this every day in our business, when we're talking to customers, what we're enabling for customers. And so I'm most excited about cloud because I think it's still super early, especially in our end of the market, which is, you know, entrepreneurs. And, you know, again, we're in 185 countries. We're all over the planet, people starting businesses and countries that I just think have been locked out of being entrepreneurs in a digital context because of the capital barriers. And as long as uh, we're able to provide that value, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Right. Are you a point product or a platform? Uh, we're a services platform. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Any dependencies on other vendors to run your basic services? Well, obviously we, we buy servers from the largest computer uh, server people in the world. We buy network switches. So supply chain has been an issue that we've all learned, uh, what those, how, how to spell those two words the last, uh, a couple of years. And then we you know, obviously have third-party vendors for our, um, data centers. So we work very closely with these partners uh, and giving them visibility and insight into our growth plans. And, um, you know, it helps to smooth the glide path for our growth. What could go wrong with your assumptions about growth in this market? Well, I think we're seeing it. This time last year, uh, we weren't predicting a war and that was going to slow down Europe. People, the leading economic minds of the world were saying, Inflation was transitory, supply chain uh, was easing. Nobody was talking about inflation or 5% interest rates. This time last year, interest rates were zero. Now they're 4%. So I think the impact on growth, the notion that you have a base case and hopefully you have a downside case and and a plan of action of what you would do, uh, which we've had to put in motion this year because, you know, we were wrong about the outlook for this year. And to be candid, we're being cautious about deploying new dollars, uh, hiring, uh, launching, you know, tailoring, you're being very narrow on product and investment uh, until we have a better handle on what the new normal economic environment will be in a in, in more traditional economic interest rate environment. Got it. And lastly, will you be doing any token M&A if valuation were to come down further? M&A is going to be a core part of our strategy to build out our capabilities. You know, we view it as not being opportunistic because multiples are cheap, but where are areas that are strategic in our roadmap? For example, enhancing our storage, AI, as we talked about, a managed service, managed hosting capability, you know, i.e. we bought uh, Cloudways earlier this year. Serverless came through an acquisition. So we absolutely plan 
We have a strong balance sheet. We're free cash flow positive. Uh, we have plans to continue to use M&A as a tool uh, in our toolkit to, to build our capabilities and build a business that we expect to be a billion and, and beyond uh, over the coming years of revenue. And, and, and if, I, if I can squeeze one more, what kind of talent are you looking to hire in this environment, given we keep hearing about a lot of layoffs? Is there any particular type of talent that you're looking to hire right well, I think the, the, the buckets of talent for us are software developers, and that fits a lot of job families, but people that are uh, engineers, software-oriented engineers, or certainly engineers are, are a talent pool that we leverage uh, for the lion's share of our people. And then also within that, uh, earlier maybe in their career, customer support, which has a technical angle uh, also as a class of people. And then you know, I would say business analytics people for the sales and or the marketing business uh, strategy uh, operations. Um, and then we're hiring, you know, salespeople to drive top line growth. So those are sort of the three large buckets of people. You know, we were a remote company. We were 60% remote pre-pandemic. So we were hybrid before hybrid was cool, if you will. And uh, we're fully remote now, uh, or mostly remote. We do have an office in, in Pakistan with Cloudways in New York still. Uh, but most people work from home. And uh, that really lessens the tension for talent. And we, in fact, we were at an early stage New York business competing for you know, software developers and struggling and decided to go remote for technology hires. And it was so successful in both hiring and retention and cost that uh, we extended that to the broader population. So that really does make it easier to hire whatever the talent needs. And Obviously, even a year and a half ago when things were tighter, uh, we were able to get what we needed in terms of people. And uh, certainly now things have loosened up and uh, it's no problem at all. I could keep going on for another half an hour, but unfortunately, uh, I have to stop here. I want to thank you so much, Yancy, for your time. This has been wonderful and wish you the very best, you know, in terms of next year and the growth opportunities going forward. And uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks for being Thank on. Thank you, Nandeep. I Tech really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, yeah likewise. Take okay. Take care, guys. Yeah, appreciate it.